You're listening to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers, episode 134, Finding Nemo, the Bewitched episode. Don't you mean be fished? Ah, ah, ah. This episode was brought to you by the patrons. That's right. To find out more about how you can get your favorite movie nominated, head on over to rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Welcome, welcome to the Animation Addicts Podcast with the Rotoscopers. We are so happy to have you guys here. My name is Chelsea Robson, along with my amazing co-hosts. We've got Mason Smith. Hello, hello. And Morgan Stradling. Morgan is having some issues with her audio right now, but she will be joining us as we go once she gets that figured out. Yep. So we we only need about fifteen things to work. <laughs> we only need like fifteen to twenty things to work perfectly all at the same time, exactly when we want them to. So this is unfortunately just how it works sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> I, we we work with it. We move on. Um. So. Who are the Rotoscopers and what do we do? Well, the Animation Addicts podcast, basically what we do is we sit down, we watch an animated film. It could be past, it could be present, and we discuss it. We kind of go over everything. And that is one of our favorite things to do. As And the fact that we are coming up on so many... Oh, wow. I can't believe we are almost come here like a month or two, two months, three months from now, uh, we're going to be hitting our five-year anniversary of doing these. Whoa! Can you believe that, Mason? Holy cow! Yeah. Um, lots, lots of good stuff. Yeah, so five years, and incidentally enough, okay, so this is episode 134, mm-hmm. but this, ori- this originally should have been episode 23. Yeah. Because <laughs> Way back when, when we first started the podcast, like when I was still living in Utah, like before I had transferred uh, down here, um, we wanted to do Finding Nemo. And for some reason, I think, oh, I think I couldn't make it. And we were like, well, this is this is like a Pixar film. And so we don't want Mason to to not be there. So I think y'all went ahead or maybe y'all got contacted by Bill Farmer. But at, at any rate, episode 23 was the Bill Farmer interview, which I highly recommend. It's it's one of my favorites to listen to over and over again. And it is um, a good one. Yeah, and so we we kind of shelved this episode. And so um this week while we were getting like the, the doc ready for um for what we want to talk about on this podcast episode, I just copied and pasted something that we wrote <laughs> like almost four three or four years ago. This was, and, yeah, uh, this it was still works. I still feel the same way about Finding Nemo. That's right. This is our Finding Nemo episode. It's been a long time coming. It's been a long time it. coming. And let me tell you now, the hype for this episode has been larger than normal. Uh, we've got, um, I think we've gotten the most voicemails that we've ever gotten for a single episode. And unfortunately, we couldn't play them all. We could only play a few. But yeah, super excited. Pixar, Finding Nemo, it doesn't get much better than this, so let's just dive right in. Somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. Whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, wait to cross. 71% of the Earth's surface is covered by water. How's it going, Bob? That's a big place. 
to find one fish. Has anybody seen my son? Your son Chico? No, it's Nemo. We're looking for Nemo. <laughs> Name's Crush. I gotta find my son Nemo. Grab shell, dude. To find Nemo. Let's ask for directions. No! What is it with men and asking for directions? We'll take a miracle. Saw him, but I'm not telling you where he went. Ah! All right, I'll talk, I'll talk. Getting him back is a whole other story. <laughs> Walt Disney Pictures presents a Pixar Animation Studios film. We're gonna help him escape. Nemo, don't give up. Your dad's been fighting the entire ocean looking for you. I'm coming, Nemo. Never you, my father. Come on, good hug. Oh, my stomach. No hurling on the shell, dude, okay? Just waxed it. You've got to see it. To believe it. Nice. Finding Nemo. Guys, this was Andrew Stanton. Mm. And Lee Unkrich. Mm. Leon Critch original story by Andrew Stanton. So mm-hmm. this could they could they could very well have titled this Andrew Stanton's Finding Nemo. I hate when they do that. <laughs> Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. It's like, oh, his nightmare before Christmas. I thought this was the other guy's. But anyway. Well, I think that that just goes under the byline of Tim Burton. He's like, no, if I'm my name's needs to be on this. So Incidentally yeah, enough, that. we just came off of an of another Andrew Stanton movie. We did, yeah. We did we go go check out our Wall E episode? Andrew's got so many great things, and I I've actually listened to recently an interview uh, with him where he just was talking about how he kind of got started. One really fun thing how he got started, he was just a student animator, and he had this like one. Um, video that was that got to go on the circuit of all of these um, student video things and so he was like just riding that for a really long time and he almost like he was just doing other things too while he was trying to get into directing and trying to get into uh, different studios and he was just almost like doing just random not like no nothing jobs until he finally was able to get in and meet up with John Lasseter and they became friends and then you know the rest of his is history is he was part of one of the one of the I mean pioneers in Pixar so yeah I would like to say okay so um Pixar had just come well their last film before this was Monsters Incorporated which I've actually never seen in its entirety. <laughs> so I know I went and saw Monsters University, but I, I, I know I know what Monsters Incorporated entails. Like I, I I know all the like major sequences and stuff. I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never seen never sat down and watched the whole entire thing. But we've got Monsters Incorporated and then we go into Finding Nemo. And it's almost like their work and the visuals and just Pixar in general just launched itself into a completely new sphere. Mm. Yeah. Just like just comparing how the characters look and the visuals, which were still impressive in Monsters Incorporated, but just looking at how they changed and how they improved and taking such a visual challenge like underwater 
with fish, which a lot of people, um, which we'll, we'll talk about with the voicemails, but no one had done an, a CG underwater film like this before. We're going to talk another about another all CG underwater film that came out around the same time. But um, I, I really think this launched Pixar into a new era. The It did. Just the power and just the hype and the excitement surrounding this film is... Phenomenal. I feel like this one was one that added way more heart to it. Not that the other, not that like Bugs Life didn't have heart, but this one was, it just, it hit home with so many people. It, it, it does. It, it, it really affects people. I, um, I dated a girl in high school who, um, she, she put this film on every single night of every week to go to sleep. And, um, <laughs> she was a psychopath. She literally left me for World of Warcraft, <laughs> but we. Um, but basically, like that's just the power of it. A okay, I don't. I don't agree with um, putting a, a. I can't. I don't agree with putting in a film to fall asleep. I can't because I can't do it. I, I put a movie in front of me and I'm like, I can't fall asleep. There's a movie playing right now. I don't know what I'm gonna do when uh, we have children and we're like, oh, how do we get them to go to sleep? I don't know. Put on Finding Nemo. I'm gonna be like. <gasps> You can't just do that. They got. I want them to watch Finding Nemo. But anyway, so there's that whole thing. I think it's because this is like a feel-good movie. In that, by the time the film is all said and done, everyone feels pretty dang good about themselves. Despite the fact that this film is like an emotional roller coaster, almost euphoric. Euphoric, eh? Almost. Yeah, it's just. This one, everybody, critical response. This is actually one of the very first movies that I remember caring about what a critic said. And I was like, oh, that movie just came out. Let me read, you know, the actual, what the critics thought about this. I don't, this wasn't something that I normally did when I was, you know, however old I was when this came out in, um, in 2003, correct? Yeah, this is 2003. Yeah, so... I just remember reading it and the person who wrote it was just like so enamored with it. And I was like, oh, I guess I will go see this movie. And I just remember totally loving it. But crit critics, you know, on Rotten Tomatoes, this has like a 99% rating yeah. for critics and then 86 on the audience. Yeah. So for whatever reason, audiences weren't totally enamored as much as the critics mm, were. They probably had. They probably brought like a two-year-old kid who cried the whole time, and then they blamed probably. Pixar. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, let's probably. talk about money because that's what animation's all about. <laughs> so yes. the budget for this was ninety-four million estimated. Um, it had a strong opening weekend uh, in uh, June two thousand and three, so not late two thousand and three. Uh, opened at over three thousand screens at um, over seventy million. Um, as of today, if you look on Box Office Mojo, the um, the worldwide gross for Finding Nemo is $940,335,536. That's a lot of money, and they're about to hit the billion mark, I, I guess. I don't know how that works. Do they just need to do more... Um, do more re-releases in theaters? They had the 3D version, yeah. so I don't know if that counts in it. They did. And I think that's one of the reasons why we were thinking about doing this back in as uh, number 23. Because they were going to do the 3D version. We just, Morgan and I had just left the 3D version. We're like, oh, we might as well do it. Um, I really liked the 3D version. I thought that was really Yeah, cool. give me a report on that. I never got to watch it. I saw a couple of the, I saw the 3D Tarzan and the 3D, no, 
I saw 3D Lion King and 3D Beauty and the Beast when they did the re-release. Okay. So the Finding Nemo re-release in 3D, I I enjoyed it. One, because it was one of those movies that I hadn't seen in a really long time, and I I kind of forgot why I liked it. But also just the fact that it kind of... It did a fantastic job of engrossing you into the screen without doing gimmicks. You know how the they had that era where anything in 3D is like, I'm going to get you. Ah. Like hand coming through, whatever. Um, and I, I just felt like you had all these speckles just popping up and, and it was, you just felt like you were there and it was very much enveloped you there. And I was, I was very yeah. impressed. I did hear a story once that as they were bringing it out of the archives, I think you were telling me about yeah, this. Yeah. And I think I heard it from um, an, like an actual Pixar employee. Maybe it was Chris Horn. Right. Probably was, but tell it. Well, um, yeah, they basically, so when they did the re-release, it was obviously several years after the initial release and, um, they didn't initially render it to be 3d. So they basically had to go into the film and, and essentially re-render it in stereoscopic, which um, I had a buddy who worked in Cal... I have a buddy who, who worked in California and did some stereoscopic stuff. So it's essentially... You know how our eyes work. It's 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 two slightly different perspectives that give the illusion of 3D space. Um, and so they basically had to render both eyes, basically, so that you can put on the 3D glasses that adjust them to where they converge. Mm -hmm. Um, so they basically had to re-render the film and to do that, they had to like literally resurrect some old shots that just like hardware wise and software wise were just not compatible with their system anymore. And, it, um, according mm -hmm. to Pixar, it was, it was, it was a Royal nightmare getting all these files, um, back into compatibility and getting back into their shots and, um, opening, being able to even open them in their animation software and then re-rendering it. So it was a big, it was a lot of work to do the 3D version that you can't just press a button to, that says, make it 3D. Well, maybe you can now, but <laughs> they couldn't just press a button and make it happen. But yeah, like just, well, like you were saying, the immersion. And I think this is where we started. Like, it's, it's not where Pixar started to do this, but this is where we really started to notice how much Pixar does their research. And um, mm -hmm. research and development at, at Pixar has kind of reached this legendary status because they really go to great lengths to really um, make an authentic universe or world for their films. Would we go as far as to say we are submerged? Well, I would say that, definitely. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm super funny. I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of some aquatic puns. I didn't know we were opening that floodgate. But, um, all right. So, when you look at the, like, the visuals for the film... Even even though it was 2003, it's it's still a masterpiece. Like it's still just a masterfully crafted piece of animated film. And it's absolutely beautiful. And I remember when I um, I wrote this the this original doc around the time Brave came out, and I was saying that the visuals actually rival those of Brave. Um, that's an incredibly um, ignorant statement because I don't I don't understand how the technology actually evolved from Finding Nemo to Brave. So. Uh, obviously, the technology improved, but man, they just went all out, and it, it is still a beautiful film, regardless of the time that has lapsed. So, a couple of tidbits for you, just to show how much research that they did. John Lasseter, he got the 
entire like pre-production or like early production crew to be scuba certified and actually do dives themselves in the Great Barrier Reef to find out what it looks like. That's pretty cool. With the lighting and things like water particles and distance fogs and stuff like that, your typical render time for one frame of animation was up to four days. Now that's that's split out between their entire render farm, but basically that means like if one of their machines um, put out one frame of the film at 24 frames per second, up to four days. And that, that's, that's oh crazy. And uh, you've got all their, their water particles, like the little floaties that, that go in and out. And then they researched how animals move. So Pixar's really cool because they're cartoon characters, but they grounded them in a real-world context. So, like, the turtles, they, they swim like a, tur- like a sea turtle would. The sharks, they have a sense of weight and mass about them that, that sharks have. And then the smaller fish, they mm-hmm. kind of dart around. They even mm-hmm. did stuff like the the constant underwater ambient noise. Like even when the characters are silent, you can still hear the hear the the low rumbling of the open ocean. So all of that stuff really enhances the film and really creates this underwater world. And and it's so naturalistic. Like what's so interesting is when you compare this to other animated films with fish. And I'm just gonna go here. Shark Tale came out in 2004. It was DreamWorks. Um, it was like ants and bugs life all over again. And it's just interesting to <laughs> analyze the difference in world establishment between Pixar and Shark Tale. Let's analyze. Okay, let's analyze. So you saw Shark Tale, right, Chelsea? It's like I I've did, seen yes. Shark Tale, but I haven't seen Monsters Incorporated. <laughs> um I'll admit I'll admit I have I have uh, talked to artists at DreamWorks who confess that like Shark Tale was a stinker, so I won't be offended if other people say that. It, I do believe it's inferior to Finding Nemo. I still think it had cool things going for it. It was just interesting how, like they did with Shrek 2, they went very pop culture with it. Of course, you can't mm-hmm. not do that when you have a comedy with Will Smith in it, I suppose. And they had stuff like that humans would do. They had restaurants, and they had car washes. They had like appliances, and they had buildings and stuff like that. Whereas Finding Nemo, mm-hmm. it's one of those everyone's naked films. <laughs> and um, they have references, but they're not pop culture references. And furthermore, they're still in a natural setting. Like, they still get eaten the old-fashioned way. They, they're still in danger the mm-hmm. old-fashioned way. And they live in coral, and they live in, in stuff like that. They just happen to be able to talk to each other and communicate. You also had Robert De Niro. Yes, you had Robert De Niro, and they had that whole um, kind of Godfather, um, Scarface you know, the typical mob film thing right. going. See, I I wasn't... The thing about Shark Tale, it was like... And I guess comparing the two, it was, what do you... This They were still very much set on the gags, the jokes, and then the little puns and whatever over here. While Finding Nemo, it had a, its fair share of that for sure. Um, but it was definitely... They focused it a lot on the human element you know the relationship element over here so i think that is one of the main things that helps this movie so much be so um timeless as opposed to being totally about pop culture I guess. okay we, we've got people in the chat saying they're oh dreamers was just like yeah let's make a fish movie too and we'll capitalize on finding Nemo." but it's like so 
different from Finding Nemo that I, if they were trying to ride on any on any fad, it was the fad that Pixar started with the whole underwater phenomenon. And I think the funniness is, um, I hate to overuse this word, but kind of timeless. Like it's not, it's not dependent on the early two thousands, which were awkward enough. Like why do we want to go back to that kind of <laughs> pop culture? Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. So, uh, yes, uh, you almost can't even, you almost can't even, um, compare the two, but Finding Nemo just has a lot of heart and I think it's a little more relatable and, um, that's all I'm going to say about it. Mm-hmm. Now, characters, yeah. uh, you got Albert Brooks and the indomitable Ellen DeGeneres as Marlon and Dory. And I don't even think they had to make Finding Dory, but Dory basically makes this film like. Ellen DeGeneres is like yeah. a comic genius when it comes to this type of character and I love it. Like nothing to throw a monkey wrench into the story than a father desperately trying to find his son and his only companion is someone who who remembers long-term memory that she saw him but can't remember anything short-term memory. Enter in the the fantastic hijinks that that hijinks brings. Hijinks galore. <laughs> <laughs> I really liked Ellen's performance in this. I felt like she was, and I think everybody felt like that. Yeah, you're right, Mason. This was her movie, you know, that it was Finding Nemo, but it was everybody came away with the breakout character was Dory because she was the one that added so much heart to it. Um, Out of the, I mean, out of the two, you really, she's the only adult that shows real emotion, you know? Um, Well, you, you have, I mean, Marlon does. She, but, yeah, she has her own arc, definitely. Yeah, Marlon does. His arc is very interesting. I like how when they were deciding on how to do this, how to do Marlon's arc, it was at first they thought, okay, we'll put the, the Barracuda scene somewhere in the middle. Like you have to work up to it. Uh, for you to, He'll be like remembering things and you'll, you know, You'll figure out why he's such a jerk <laughs> as you go along. But then they're like, yeah, this just, just doesn't work. Like, you just really don't like Marlon. <laughs> um, and so that's why they're like, no, yeah, let's let's put that at the very beginning. So right away you understand why he is the way he oh, is. Yeah. And then let it let the rest of the story and how his change in learning to let go, learning to, to kind of be free with it. Um, with his relationship with his son and also with Dory as well, with like all the people that he loves, he ends up putting this, this idea of I'm going to lose you. And so you, you think you can do these things, but you can't. And just, I felt like the way they switched it around was just perfect. Well, they really let you, yeah, it, it's, it's good that they had that kind of flashback at the beginning of the film, because then you understand why Marlon freaks out when, um, Nemo goes to the reef, why he tells him he thinks he can do these things, but he just can't. Why Nemo says that he hates him and leaving that unresolved for when Nemo gets taken by P. Sherman and um, or mm-hmm. taken by the dentist guy. I think I, I really think that Marlon and Dory's relationship is one of the most entertaining parts of the film for me. Like this is like they do this all the time in animation, but they basically pair the most unlikely duo in story. together and um how could they ever get along or, or learn to function, but it just works by the end to where at the very end, Dory confides in Marlin that she feels like she's home and that she can remember again when she's with Marlin. Isn't that cool? Of course, they made that a totally different interpretation when they did Finding Dory, but just, just look at Finding Nebo. 
I think it's really sweet, the relationship they have. And this was something I wrote back in 2011 or, or whenever I, we originally made this, this uh, doc. But this was Mason's big question of episode 23 way back when. But Marlon and Dory's relationship, is it love? Is this love that I'm feeling? <laughs> is this the love that I've been searching for? <laughs> it's not a love story, but could it happen? Obviously, people ship uh, Marlon and Dory. Well, it's easy to do so just because it's like, I don't know. It, it's just, it's one of those, like, you have two different species. That's just not oh going to work gosh, out. Oh my gosh, this is great. I just Googled Marlon X Dory on Google and uh, make sure you have family <laughs> filter turned on. Dangerous. But basically, oh the only gosh. way they make it work is these DeviantArt artists turn it into, turn them into anime characters and then have them in love. <laughs> And it's <laughs> why I don't I, I just, fan fiction fan fiction and fan art is just com- <laughs> a completely different realm for me. So we're we're seeing a lot of people talking saying basically no, it's platonic. Like it's Obviously. it is love, but it's familial love and not romantic love. But I don't know. I don't I don't even think we. I think the film is naturalistic enough so that. Um, I think the universe w- will not allow for interspecies romance in the Finding Nemo world. But I think a lot of people, including myself, would just prefer to see a deep friendship love between them or a, or a family love. But now that Dory has found her family, what yeah. use has she for Marlin? But I guess they're just really good friends, you know? It's all family in that point, I think. You just all throw them all into one big pot. <laughs> it's a it's a Lion King 2 all over again. <laughs> it's one ocean. We are one. Y'all go watch my um, Lion King 2 alternate ending if you haven't already. It's on my YouTube. But yeah, Chelsea, favorite parts of Finding Nemo, go. Oh, okay. Obviously, my one of my favorite parts was the was the sharks. The sharks is always one that I've always been like, that's really funny. Um, when they go deep in the deep, deep ocean where they see the, the fish that has the little light at the front. And then also oh. um, the other one is with Crush and the, the surfer yeah. turtles. Those are my top three that I always come to mind. Okay, okay, okay. I like. I really like the meeting the sharks. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Hello, escape." <laughs> it has been three weeks since my last fish. On my honor, or may I be chopped up and boiled into soup? He's an inspiration <laughs> to us all. One of those guys is Eric Bana, who's like an Australian, but he 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 uh, commonly plays uh, Americans, I guess. But anyway, uh, I like that part. And then I, well. I remember the anglerfish, uh, glowing fish, the, the anglerfish um, scene from the teaser. Remember when that was just the teaser right. trailer? Yeah. Are you my conscience? Yes. <laughs> I'm your conscience. How are you? We haven't spoken in a while. Can't complain. <laughs> or I, I just like what he's like, Dory, can you see anything? Blah! Somebody's touching me! <laughs> that was and, me. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I remembered it again. Um, and then I like um, hmm, uh, the part in the whale is the saddest part, so it's not my favorite. And then uh, turtle talk with crush. Do you remember? Um, do you remember turtle talk with crush? Has anybody been to Epcot and I done have. turtle talk? Yes. It, it's like that where the actually... kids sit around and he's like an AI that like talks back to you. Uh huh. 
I always, those types of things are so creepy to me (laughs) because they actually, there is somebody around that's like talking and saying, yes, you with the striped shirt. And you're just like, what? It's like voice to voice or something. I I don't know how they do it. You know, it's just, you know, Disney magic, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was like automated, like an AI to where if he doesn't understand something, it's just like, all right, cool, man. You know, (laughs) you could give a totally (laughs) neutral answer. (laughs) It was... (laughs) It's no, like these kids they... are gathered around it, and then, and then Virtual Crush is like, hey, what's your name in the front, little man? And he's like, hola, crush, mi nombre es, es Makeli. <laughs> y a, a mi me gusta tortugas. Y... He's like, uh, okay, far out. Yeah, okay. Uh, anybody <laughs> speaks English here? <laughs> you know, they got to prepare for that. Right, they do. But anyway, does anyone just, like, mess with Crush on that ride and see if they can, like... <laughs> uh... Yeah, I I do remember um, going to that, but they do have somebody there that's talking through somebody else, uh, or that's talking through like a little microphone that actually has the um, speech technology. So when sound comes out, like the mouth will open and whatnot. Oh, um, uh, okay. So that is because I've seen that before. How those were kind of but, like um, what was it? The Laugh Factory for Monsters Incorporated. Yes, they have something like that where they have these like digital monsters that come up and basically it's the lip sync matches up with someone talking right. behind the scenes. That's how they're able to kind of interact with everyone. Uh-huh. I always thought that that was really fun. It was, it was a cool thing. The other time is at Disneyland, they actually took out the submarine ride and put in a finding Dory ride, which I thought I've always, I've never liked the submarine ride. Honestly, I don't um, think I've ever been on it. It just, it messes with the whole ears thing. And I'm like, I can't, uh, there's too much pressure. I need to get out. You gotta have the ears. Oh, uh, just just the like the air pressure. Yeah. Oh, that's weird. Because they uh, put you yeah. underwater, you know. Oh and they yeah. Actually, close it and move you around. Oh. So cool. you're under. I don't know. I just the barometric <laughs> pressure has never done well with yeah, me. Yeah, submarines scare me. <laughs> uh. And then um, I really like all the interactions with the 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 fish tank fish. Like the poor <laughs> things, they're just trying to. You know, they're trying to hold on to the last last little bits of sanity that they have and having a really hard time. That's um, true. But, man, it's just such a, it's, it's this emotional roller coaster and just the, the tale of, like, it's like the whole ocean is, there. it's them against the whole ocean, but um, Marlin at first, and then Marlin slowly starts realizing that the world is, isn't the horrible place. It, it's not necessarily the horrible place that he thinks it is and that he's so afraid of on, on Nemo's account. You know, right. they, he has friends, he has allies and people that are pulling from him. And there's this cool montage where practically everyone in the ocean is, is talking about, um, Have you seen, did you Marlin's see journey. Yeah. Yeah. He's looking for a son. He's going to <laughs> the, the dolphins. <laughs> and it, like, those are, those are cool gags. Like those are animation gags that actually work, you know, that you don't have to make some sort of hip hop reference to be current, but but in the ocean, everything's current, so... <laughs> oh. Just keep them coming. Keep them coming. But can't keep... you just see... Turn that spout on and just let it flow. Yeah, I don't want to just brine here, but... Anyway, <laughs> um, I, the, there are such strong themes. Yeah. Okay, what are you've some got... of the themes you got? Well, you've got isolation. Like, Marlin is a rock. He is an island, and he does not let anybody in. Because True. last time he let someone in, he ate his wife and um, <laughs> ate all his babies. 
And so Marlon's feelings are portrayed with like really frightening photography. Like they really isolate him, make him make these long shots. Like he's alone. They set him apart from everyone. Then his world starts to get a little warmer and a little more uh, close, like in, interaction wise, when he starts uh, when he meets Dory. And then just the grief of what happened, and then his struggle of finding his son. But he also he also has to let go. Mm-hmm. Like Dory, yeah. who can't remember anything, is the one to tell him it's time to let go. And in his moment of greatest peril, like he really had to make a leap of faith. And the whale was actually their friend. It's so great. Thank you. Oh, yeah, we didn't have I... a whale contest. <laughs> maybe it's maybe he speaks orca. Whoa! <laughs> she gets like really brutal. <laughs> great. Oh, man. Well, of all of the themes that I got out of it, there was definitely the theme of letting go, letting your letting the child grow up. Also the theme of the two together. You have Marlon and Dory together. Yeah. I feel like their combination, it really, even though she has, can't remember anything and he can only remember. So I think there's a, a good balance in between there. Like knowing when to forget, knowing when to not let things touch you. Cause I, that is the reason why she's always so happy. She's always just, blissfully unaware of everything that's going on around her which you know in a lot of ways is good but there's i think there's a that happy balance between the two as well yeah well in the end it's this emotional roller coaster they put us on because even when you when even when he has found nemo and he's together all of a sudden they're in a fishnet because uh we got to make some sort of statement about the environment uh because it's pixar but yeah um (laughs) And and even after that, even after they get him out of that, and you think that all is well, it looks like Nemo is dead, and then he's not dead, and then everything's fine, and then they can all go home. But but man, they're just like woo woo woo, you know, with our yeah. emotions and it's the and same thing it's, with how they did it with with finding Dory too. Like it was there could have been like three different endings through this whole th- journey. You know, it's like yeah. the journey is never done. <laughs> it is interesting. It's like I, I, I'll give a free pass to Pixar, but in in other movies and series where I'm, where like my emotions are manipulated by the showrunners, this is the it's the reason why I stopped watching The Walking Dead. Um, I just can't get into it because I'm like, God, where are you going with this? You know. Yeah. But they made it work, and um, Andrew Stanton likes to do that. You know, because with Wall E, it's like you thought that he was dead. No, you didn't think he was dead. You th- thought that he was like brain dead at the end. You thought his memory got reset or at least put into Spanish mode <laughs> when Eve reset him. But man, these cliffhangers and stuff. But in the end, like everything is all hunky dory at the end. And uh, Dory and Marlin are they're not like together together, but they're all living around each other as family. And it's and it's all it's all good. And at the very end, Marlin can let Nemo go on yet another field trip and he can he can be at peace. Well, the Nemo, not only that, Nemo is the one who accepts Marlin for his story, too. Like, he's he's the one that, you know, like, um, in the chat, I believe it was Ryan Pareto, uh, he mentioned, he's like, come on, we've all had that moment where we said, I, I hate you to our parents or whatever, you know, because that's just Oof. how the, the five-year-old in us is, or, you know, if we're 15 or something like that. I never went through the teenage phase of, like, meh. Like throw myself on the bed. Uh. Um, but it was, there's, it's, I don't know. There's, there's that moment at, where the child also comes to respect the parent more and yeah. it has less, uh, it's, it's just less thinking of themselves. It's <laughs> really what it is in all different phases. You just, I think you do kind of go through the, each 
period of time where you don't understand how to how to deal with the parents view of you and your life and what they think it should be versus you and thinking how the world should be around you yeah it's interesting i can't wait till nemo hits puberty then we'll have playing <laughs> nemo three it's yikes <laughs> then, then he'll be totally finding emo <laughs> oh fantastic <laughs> anyway Let's do a uh, let's do a quote off uh, before we hit the voicemails, and then I think it's time to wrap this up. I really like at the beginning where he's like, "I'm obnoxious." <laughs> I really should say that more. <laughs> I'm obnoxious. Um, escape. Hey, that's oh. really funny. How it kind of looks like the word escape. It's spelled just like the word escape. <laughs> oh, in that same sequence, a little chum for chum. <laughs> uh, All right, give me another one. What are your favorite um, quotes? My another favorite quote is going to be, well, there's always that group of of school fish, and he <laughs> he inks himself. Pass <laughs> the <inked>. butter. <laughs> oh, you made me ink. <laughs> um, let's see. Ah, here's Brosy. Yes, that was really yes. good. For that one, I had shark bait. Ooh ha ha. Shark bait. Ooh ha ha. That one's really good. Shark bait. Ooh, okay, no, but the shark bait. <laughs> shark bait. Ooh, da, pa, ba, <laughs> oh, and the same group of uh, the same group of uh, fish. He just grabbed the Reader's Digest. We have four point two minutes. <laughs> it's like they, they're no, so oh, into no. what happens at the dentist because that's all they have it's to look at. Darla. <laughs> that's Darla. Always oh, been favoring that one recently. <laughs> Where they're talking about the different drills he used. Yes, yes. Mine. Anyway. Mine. 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 Yeah, hey, we got a beach hey, towel. Uh, hey, when we went to hey. Walt Disney World, we got a, a uh, we got a beach towel of the the seagulls, like the concept art drawings of them. It, it's oh, really cute. Really? Oh, <laughs> the crabs! Hey, hey. <laughs> we're already half empty. <laughs> I'd say half full. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, these, so many good quotes. These are amazing go on quotes. Forever. Yes. All right. Final thoughts. Final thoughts. Um, this was really good. And I'm going to argue that Finding Nemo by Pixar is just about the perfect CG animated film. It is comparable to Lion King, and I therefore give it a 5 out of 5 star rating. Finding Nemo is about as close to perfection as you can get. Them's fine words. You heard it on the pot. You heard it on the rotoscopers. I give it a 5 out of 5. All right, for me... I'm even going to write it in the doc. Five out of five. <laughs> for me, I I remember the very... The time that I went in to see this um, for the 3D screening, it had been so long since I had seen it that I, I really kind of forgot how much I liked it. And I forgot how, how funny it was. And just all the little story, how it just weaves it all together. I'm not exactly sure why it doesn't have quite of a I, I don't I'm not exactly sure why my memory doesn't show it as being so high on the uh, rewatch value um, yeah. I'm not exactly sure why it doesn't come up as high for that but that does not mean that I don't think that this was also a five out of five movie it I I got everything out of it I felt like every part of it was it was the pacing was really well done 
It also has, a, as we were talking about, a lot of themes. It has a lot of different ways to think. And honestly, as it was really geared to as a, as a story and heart and has a lot of emotion that you all, everybody ends up feeling and you feel for the people. And as we were talking about earlier on how all of the different, they, there was so much that techno, like technology out of this was so well done. But at the same time, I never saw the technology at the time. Yeah. I saw the story. And that's one of the quotes that um, we failed to mention of Andrew Stanton. He said that, you know, if we're doing our job right, or who was it that said it? Not, don't quote me on who said it. But somebody said, if we're doing our job right, you're not going to notice the technology. You're just going to feel the story. And Ooh. I feel like they got it. And that was really what I got out of this film. So very five good. Out of five. five out of five. Uh, Morgan on the chat, you can still give your rating. Um, but yeah, uh, very, very good. And uh, let's go into Los voicemails. So like we I said, we had we had way too many voicemails to put on the show for a single episode. Well, Morgan says five out of five also. So Woo! this is this is a triple five. Bling, 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 bling. When has this ever happened on the rotoscopers? Only y'all didn't even give Lion Y'all didn't even give Lion King or Over the Garden Wall five out of five. I gave Lion King five out of five. <laughs> 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 anyway. Um let's Beauty jump right in. Oh, did we? Yeah, See, yeah. like, if this is your first episode, like, we're not in the habit of just being like, oh, it's the perfect animated film, five out of five. You know, and we're not that flippant. Like we're, we can be critical and, and harsh and, and whatever. But um, just because we don't like, give it a five out of five doesn't mean we loved it too. I've only met one person who said that they hated Finding Nemo, and I was like, Ugh. from such turn away, there's something going on there that I don't know, that I don't we don't know about. <laughs> anyway, I'm not saying you're crazy if you don't like Finding Nemo. Let's just go to the voicemails. Okay. Hi, Rotoscopers. It's me, Mystery Man. And I'm losing a voice. It's now Mystery for Man! Nemo. I think the best thing about this film is that I feel like it does more for parents than it does for children. Like, there is that temptation to, like, like keep your kids inside and, like, away from the world, but it's it's better to let them, like, live life. And I think that's why it's, like, it's really unique because I haven't seen a, a kid's film that, like, it works more for parents than the actual, like, kids. Keep up the great work. Bye. <laughs> okay. Uh... Man, they, mystery man, he's so mysterious. <laughs> man of mystery. Man I liked how mystery. he said that this really was geared toward the parents as opposed to the children. And I think a lot of Pixar's films are that way. I don't think that's one one reason I think we all end up loving them so much is because they they appeal to so many sensibilities as opposed to just getting the kids to, you know, sit and watch something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this one, it's not like it had adult humor, you know, like AKA no. Sausage Fest, but it had timeless humor that all ages could enjoy. Right. So, all right, this next one's from Ryan. Stand Hello, Rotoscopers. Ryan Prieto here. Just finished watching Finding Nemo, which just happens to be an incredible film. Looking at this movie from a historical point of view, this is Pixar when it was young and scrappy. Still developing the technology and techniques they're using today. 
You know, Pixar set an entire film under the sea where they would have to contend with the task of animating characters with the rhythm of a constantly undulating water source. And you know what? They overcame that hurdle and put together another amazing film. I would also argue this is when the characters themselves stopped having such a semi-plastic look, which was showcased in Monsters, Inc. just before this. And, you know, this story has some amazing moments where a father must simultaneously find his son and also let him go and grow up. And that offers a lot of narrative texture, which I really like. And, you know, just that scene at the beginning with that barracuda or whatever demon fish it was at the drop-off where it seems to just be suspended into nothingness. And you know, in that moment of calm, there is tragedy on the other side. And that is incredible to me. And how the, you know, the babies get, you know, Oh, I wish, I wish I hadn't killed that fish. <laughs> That's a Homer Simpson treehouse of horror reference for you. So happy Halloween. <laughs> Have a good one. Awesome. I love, thank you for bringing that simpsons quote in there awesome thank you ryan oh see that one just flew over my head <laughs> i okay. wish i wish i hadn't killed that fish <laughs> <laughs> uh this next one is from tara who uh, i don't think i've heard her uh, call in before hi rotoscopers this is tara i love finding nemo i've seen it many many times um i love that it's a father-son movie i just don't think there's a lot of father-son movies out there for kids that show a real father-son relationship with the dad that's overprotective and the son who wants to do things on his own. I just think it has a lot of those timeless themes that kids and adults can relate to. Dory's kind of my hero um, because I'm really forgetful like she is, and um, I also tend to get discouraged easily. So I'm, when I'm having trouble at work or when I'm having trouble at home, I just sort of sing to my head, you know, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. And I know that's kind of cliched, but it helps me keep going. Also, I love Darla. She's basically what I was like as a kid. So <laughs> if there's hope for me, then there's hope for Darla. Anyway, those are my thoughts about Finding Nemo. Um, I just want to thank you guys for doing the podcast. I am a teacher, so I listen to it while I grade, and it makes it, like, way less boring. So <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Tara, the teacher. I'm Tara, the she, teacher. Glad that she liked it. This next one is from D-Lan. Hi, guys. It's Dylan, and I'm in a very suitable place right now. I'm at Duxbury Beach in Massachusetts, and you guys are reviewing Finding Nemo. I believe this is part of the original table meeting where they discussed um, all the future Pixar movies like Toy Story, Monsters, Inc., and Ratatouille, and all the other now classics. And I think this totally deserves its place upon the Disney classic shelf. I've seen the movie a billion times. And I remember when it came out in 2003, it was just so huge. I remember it being like fro almost frozen or Lion King huge. It was everywhere and every kid knew every word to it. And it was just so good. And then they took such a step up in the animation in the two years between Monsters, Inc. and this. It was, I remember being impressed even as a kid. I also remember um, having my first root canal planned for the next day after this so the dentist scenes kind of traumatized me my dad thought it was funny i didn't think it was funny but nevertheless it's still such a good movie i also love the um themes as far as like um especially with marlin and nemo as far as um 
a father like suffocating his son with like safety and love and just trying to protect him when he's actually kind of ruining their relationship in the process but it's all done with love like I can relate to that with my dad and I'm sure so many other people can relate to that with somebody in their life and Pixar knows how to get you in the heart there you know um thank you so much guys thank you Dylan okay uh <laughs> this next one is from Jeremiah who was a bullfrog Hello, Rotoscopers. It's Jeremiah calling about the film that immortalized the words, mine, mine, mine. This movie, doesn't it make you smile when somebody says, let's watch Finding Nemo? It's just that kind of movie. It's always the right time to watch it. And it's special to me because I'm a marine biology fan, and it's interesting how completely unexplored the ocean is, you know, so when you consider that it's this frontier that's beautiful and huge and vast and so much to discover, and you're always astonished, what, that study hasn't been done? I mean, we're kind of distanced from it, you know, so we see a lot of movies about dogs and cats and birds and people, because that's what we know. And there were no movies about fish until Pixar made Finding Nemo, and then suddenly there were a lot of <clears throat> movies about fish. But it's really fun in that it does capture what the ocean is, I think. It's vast. It's beautiful. It's unpredictable. It's diverse. It's weird. And I just... Love it. And on another note, it's a successful road trip movie. Hey, how often does that happen? And it's just really a fun Pixar masterpiece. Cute, charming, exciting. Did I say cute? You're not allowed to say that. Oops. And I give it 4.5 stars. I want to say 5, but er, no. 4.5. I am firm. And I'll talk to you guys later. Look forward to hearing what you have to say. Thank you very much, Jeremiah. He was did not was could not out of good conscience for himself give it a five out of five, but it's okay. We did. <laughs> interesting, interesting. All right, uh, and then here is our last voicemail for the. Hey, yo, Rotoscopers! Simon here from France. So Nemo, yes, uh, for me it's a nostalgic movie with a nice lighting, a great attention to detail, uh, and two strong points. Uh, first, the narration, which is really clear. Even if there's a huge amount of characters, if there's a lot of stuff going on, we never lost in the narration. It's really, it's always really clear. And two, the character design, which is really, really on point. Uh, I once heard that in character design, the nose is what gives personality to a face. And unlike humans, mammals, birds, most fish don't have a nose. By playing with mouth, proportions, shapes, they manage to create powerful and appealing characters like the sharks. Really great. But uh, yeah, the main character, Marlin, is not that much special. Special, I think his face is a bit too average to be remembered. Uh, unlike Dory, which has a really, really lovable face. Uh, her stiff eyebrows, freckles, that thing she does with her lips, and her personality. You can't help but love that character. So yes, I, I had a great time reading this movie. It's nostalgic, it has an efficient narration, lovable characters, and an awesome blue sidekick. Bye, guys! Thanks, Simon! Simon from, from France. France! That's so cool, we're so multicultural. Um, <laughs> Simon, thank you for calling in. You have a great accent. Beautiful. It's like liquid gold. 
<laughs> no, it, I liked how he, he just said that the um, it was great narration throughout the whole thing. I, I felt like it was too. The story was very clean. So, yay. Yeah, yeah. And we are very sorry for all the people who did not get their voicemails shown today. Yes, yes. Uh, best of luck next time, I suppose. <laughs> Uh, if this keeps going, then um, then we're gonna like we're gonna have to not promise that your voicemail will be heard on the episode, which will be sad but also kind of cool. But anyway, very cool. All right. Well, thanks everybody for listening. This has been a, a tough episode. Of course, uh, we hope that Morgan will get her audio stuff figured out so that we can all three of us be together. But this was a monumental episode because I think it's been a long time since we've all done like five out of five uh, yes. ratings. Yeah. So this is episode 134, right? Yeah. So for uh, show notes, links, and more, you can go to uh, rotoscopers.com slash 134. And uh, be sure to engage us in social media, like uh, on the site, uh, on YouTube. Like, leave a comment. Like this video, please. And um, tell your friends about us. Also, even though we are plagued with technical difficulties, this like whole video format is in all these extra things that we've been doing for like the past uh, year and a half, I suppose uh, is all because of our fabulous patron subscribers. And if you want to learn more about how you can support the rotoscopers by being a patron, you could go to rotoscopers.com slash patron or rotoscopers.com slash Patreon. Again, voicemails you can go to rotoscopers.com slash voicemails. And I think if you do it through SpeakPipe online, you can get a minute and a half, right? Rather than yeah. just calling in. Yeah. Either one works though. Okay, or uh, you can call 406-646-6575. We, we still have items in our store, right? We still have t-shirts floating around somewhere? We do still have t-shirts, a couple out there. So if you are interested in one of those, you can definitely check that out. Pick them up, please. Um, you can find us all over social media. Um, I'm at MasonSMTX on Instagram. I have a blog, and I, I every semester I tend to post a little bit of school stuff. So you can go to thisanimatedlife.blogspot.com. That is my blog. And um, at Chelsea Robson for her Twitter. Um, she has a website, ChelseaRobson.com, Instagram, and Snapchat. And uh, you can find Morgan Stradling at Morgan Stradling on Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. So please connect with us. We love our, uh, our listeners, and you guys are great. Thanks for uh, listening in, and thanks for bearing with us during all these technical difficulties. All right, folks. Until next time, we, we are, are the, the Rotoscopers. Have a great day. Right. Okay. Oh, oh, well, we need now a uh, we are title. going to pick the title. So I will be going through and editing all of these things together so that it, when you, when it is posted on Friday, uh, you'll be able to listen streaming and without any problems. And it'll sound beautiful as though this problematic night, um, ghosts in the websites, <laughs> Did not happen. So this has been a cursed episode, bewitched, if you will, and uh, uh, I just want to. Um... It is the day of the dead. So. <laughs> Sorry, I jumped right into <laughs> Dracula music. <laughs> day of the I don't know what day of the dead music is. <laughs> anyway, the bewitched episode. The bewitched episode. How? Say what you do will, we think we should say do? You won't. Say you'll do what I don't. Say you'll choose. Bewitched anyone? Did anyone listen to them in the 90s? Oh, God. <laughs> Bewitched, we had their cassette tape, and we listened to them on long trips. That that and Hanson 
and um, Aaron Carter and a little bit of S Club 7. <laughs> say la vie, say you will, say oh you won't. Yes. Yeah, bewitched with the yes. asterisk. Yeah. Let's uh let's just go to YouTube and leave a I'll leave that song on. Oh.